In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 428 of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos this week on the show artist risa puno joins us to talk about some of their latest work including the upcoming group hug in philadelphia and unresolved rage game developed with theater artist ran shah which was recently at worlds in play at asu's mix center in mesa arizona that happened at the top of the year we go deep into the motivation behind both pieces and how puno explores emotions through game mechanics in this interview so you know, as part of the discussion around Unresolved Rage Game, there's some frank talk about the wave of hate directed at Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders that the pandemic unleashed, and that includes some strong language, including the identification of slurs that were directed at Puno himself, telling you that up front so that you're not caught off guard when it happens. This is a deep talk thanks to Reese's ability to open up and talk about the real real that underpins the work. Something for which we're really grateful for, and I hope you will go there with us today. Before we get into it, however, we do have a few things to tell you about. Oh yes, it's announcement time. No pro backers? In particular, keep your eye on your inboxes because there are two things headed your way this weekend as soon as the drafts are cleared out of my computer. The first, the pre-sale for the Los Angeles Immersive Invitational's Sunday Showcase, which is hitting on April 21st. Tickets for the preview matinee and final performances are going up this weekend for backers, and this is your chance to secure these rare tickets. Just around 150 total will be available for the whole day across all three showings. Before the teams are announced and the roof blows off the Nocturne Theater in Glendale, which is the host venue for the most fun event in all of immersivedom, Produced by After Hours Theater Company in partnership with the Immersive Experience Institute. Sunday, 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 April 21st. Oh, yes, you're going to want to be there. You're really going to want to be there. And once we announce the matchups, oh, there will not be any tickets left. So get in on the presale while you can if you're a no pro backer. Have I, have I been maybe watching a little wrestling again? Yes, I Maybe, maybe, but only on YouTube. Uh, that's not all that's coming to backer inboxes. On Saturday, they will be receiving their ballots for this year's Emmy Awards, the No Pro, <laughs> the No Presidium Audience and Editor Awards, that will be presented live via streaming on March 14th. 
Voting will be open for two weeks across the categories this year with audience awards honoring both specific categories and regions for work that debuted in 2023. The ceremony will also see the presentation of two Editor's Choice Awards and a Reader Award, the voting for which will be open to all NoPro readers and listeners starting on Tuesday the 27th. We will have more details about the streaming of this, which will be open to NoPro backers to come check out. Keep your eyes on Patreon feeds and inboxes for all the details, and please... Uh, come vote if you're a backer and uh, and we will we will be releasing all of the all of the the nominees. everyone will everyone will know who's nominated. Uh, but the voting will be open to backers. So uh, check that out. Just got a little more tabulation to do. the the noms uh, the noms came in early this morning uh, and and now I've got lots of work I gotta do. Uh, again. Two weeks of voting starting on Saturday. Keep your eye on your Patreon feeds and inboxes for details if you're a no-pro backer. Speaking of, this week we'd like to thank Bela Wyack for becoming our latest backer. Uh, this March, we'll be on the march to get our paid membership numbers up. And indeed, the pre-sale and the voting, all part of that. Uh, and with with all the stuff that's going on, Honestly, there's never been a better time to be a backer of NoPro, to exercise your membership in this community. We are giving you more ways to do that. To be part of all that, if you're not already paid up, uh, head over to patreon.com slash noproscinium for the hookup. I still dream of getting a thousand true fans for this, because if we did, our problems would be solved. Seriously, completely solved. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mostry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, Kurt Collins, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. And yeah, that's enough for now. Let us get into this fantastic interview with artist Risa Puno. Joining us now is artist Risa Puno, whose work centers on how interactivity and play can help us examine and understand how we relate to one another. That's a direct quote from the website. Longtime listeners might know Risa thanks to 2019's The Privilege of Escape, which was exhibited at Creative Time in New York City, or most recently from Unresolved Rage Game, a project initially developed in collaboration with Rand Shah, and which was featured at ASU's Worlds in Play in Mesa this January, and before that, at the Soho Repertory Theater in New York City. Risa hits a milestone this March with their first solo museum show, Group Hug at the Fabric Workshop and Museum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Risa, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> this this is overdue on my part because I was supposed to break out the equipment at Worlds in Play and then I just found myself, I lugged all the equipment and didn't break out the equipment. So uh, Jake, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I apologize <laughs> to Jake for not doing something on the spot. Before we get into Unresolved Rage Game, uh, which I, which an alternate version of which I got to see at Worlds in Play uh, last month, uh, tell us about Group 
hug. I'm very curious about it. I'm curious about the image that's on your website of something that looks <laughs> like it's about to give a very interesting hug to you. <laughs> Cute feels. Anyway, tell us about this thing. What are you doing uh, at the Fabric Workshop and Museum in Philadelphia? Sure. Absolutely. So this show is, um, outside of being my first museum solo show, it is the culmination of a two-year residency um, that I've been doing um, remotely, actually, there. And um, it's like FWM has a really collaborative um, process. And so you work with the studio there and they um, sort of help you bring your vision to life. And so this this project is honestly the most personal that I've ever gone um, in my work, both in the sense that it's inspired by stuff that's going on in my own family. Um, and it's the first time I'm using Philippine iconography um, in my work. And so it feels um, really exciting. I feel incredibly vulnerable, um, but I think in I think in a good way, um, like the idea behind the concept is so um, so my dad is going through some health issues and it's caused everybody in my family to sort of have to scramble a little bit in terms of um, figuring out roles about care because my dad is this honestly. I mean, I'm going to brag, right? Because he's my dad. He's an amazing physician. He's um, a spine surgeon who has oh, wow. 90 international and uh, and U.S. patents under his belt, right? Um, he's the developer of the world's first polyaxial pedicle screw, and he's just been caring for people his whole career. It's something he loves, and um, and because of his health issues, he's had to retire, and because of that, he is now a patient. And my mom, who was also a physician, is now taking care of him. And um, and now our our branch of the family tree, who's usually a very strong branch, which, by the way, Puno, my last name, is the Tagalog word for tree, literally. And so our branch of the family Puno is usually the one that gives a lot of support to other people. We're now accepting a lot of support. And so, um, and I'm also having to support my parents in a way that... Um, I haven't had to before. And so everybody's having to sort of reshuffle that. And, and it's, it's becoming this, there's a lot of collective care that's happening. And I remember after I was on my way home from um, going to help um, with, with this, with my dad, and I was doing the New York Times crossword puzzle. And there was a clue that was um, a many person act of support. And, and the answer was group hug. Mm. And it's like, I was like that. That makes sense. And I was like, I want that for for the title for my show. And so that's why the show is Group Hug. And so the first thing you do when you enter the exhibition is you have to make a choice. Um, you have to choose either care for or cared for. Um, and which path you choose sort of sets the tone for uh, which role you take in this sort of immersive experience. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm, I'm like... I'm taken aback in a good way because the, the thing that, the thing that I know really like intimately now is like how, uh, how bad American culture, I'm going to put as American culture in particular, right. And specifically is at prepping any of us to deal with this material, uh, you know, to, to deal with the idea of care there, there are, 
older traditions, all the cultures that existed before this stupid one that have ways of, of prepping folks for this phase, phase of life. And I, I mean that both as, you know, the people who are going to be cared for and the people who are going to be doing the caring and, and our particular American culture, our, our society is almost set up to like, not do this at all. Like, just like, nope, we're not going to do it, outsource it, and and just extract monetary value from everybody's suffering. And and so um, it's, exciting is the wrong word, but like, it feels like we need more work thinking about this stuff and, 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 and activating around it. And so that's just, I don't know, there's a synchronicity here. Um, recent i've talked offline because of like you know stuff and i'm not i don't want to center myself in this one but like i'm just i'm very grateful i guess what i'm saying it's what i'm actually trying to say is like the way you approach work and the 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 issues you dive into and the way you you slice at the onion of this stuff is always very rich and and fascinating and also just just yeah, I'm I'm at a loss for words actually. Like there there's right place, right time. Just right place, right time. Uh, that that's that's all I can think of at the moment, right? There's Thank just something you. about yeah. Thank you. I mean, it'll it'll still deliver hopefully <laughs> hopefully on the on the play that usually shows up in in my work. Like um I guess I mean I I don't know um I mean I it it says it in the press release, so I don't I don't know how people feel about like it's I I don't really consider it like a spoiler, you know, because like I said, it's in the press release, but um, it, it is technically not on the website description, but I guess um, uh, so, um, but there, there are game aspects to it. Like um, in that um, for me, uh, this, this act of, of trying to keep up with the issues that crop up with, with my dad's needs and things like that. And it feels very reactionary and feels very, um, like we're not planning, right? We're just, mm -hmm. there's anxiety, there's, um, it, it, it feels chaotic. Uh, to me, it feels like a game of whack-a-mole. And honestly, I hate whack-a-mole. I'm terrible <laughs> at whack-a-mole. And so because of this, we have created essentially a large multi-person whack-a-mole um, that that is what you get if you choose care for. Uh, there is a, yes, a large, a large multi-person whack-a-mole. Versus if you choose the cared for path, that is where you encounter the pods that you see me in the in the photo, those those things. And and basically those um as long as people are willing to work, the work is is the playing at the multi-person whack-a-mole. If people are willing to work and care for you, then those pods um like sort of form into these like recliner chairs and offer you support. Um, but if people, I guess when people fail at addressing the needs, right, then it, they, the, they no longer form reclined chairs and, um, are not able to offer support, right? It's the idea of sort of acknowledging the work that goes oh, wow. into care. Um, and so it's like, it's, even though it's playful, it's also acknowledge, it's acknowledging the work and also acknowledging like that sometimes if you're the kind of person who is used to giving care, it might 
if you, you know, decide that day you want to be cared for, accepting that care might be uncomfortable, for example. Like if you can hear the people working for you, that might feel uncomfortable, right? You might have to, it might take you a while to settle in and ex- be okay with accepting that support or whatever, right? And I just, I think my hope, my hope is that it can, um, that it can help, um, help bring about the conversations that I, that I do feel like um, our culture doesn't, doesn't make space for, um, that doesn't, you know, and whether it is, whether it is more like elder care, whether it is just the idea of collective care at, at any age or any stage of life, right? I just think this idea that um, the sort of what responsibilities do we have to each other and how how does um, like how does caring for others affect our own well-being and also even just what who do we feel do we feel like we have access to rest do we feel like we're allowed to rest you yeah. know um does is that attached to our own feelings of self-worth um things like that um would and the, i mean the central question is would you um would you rather work to care for others or would you rather have others work to care for you is kind of the the central question something that you know i i i got to appreciate in theory when people would tell me about privilege of escape and then i got to appreciate in practice witnessing unresolved rage game and and in how you've illustrated this whack-a-mole versus recliner uh, or that versus this whack-a-mole and recliner relationship is you have, and this is this, the, the inarticulate thing I was trying to say before, you have this way of not just, you have this way of illustrating through structure of action, the relationship between social cause and effect. Hmm. Right? interpersonal cause and effect and and drawing that line directly in this idea of like there's the pods and there's the whack-a-mole and someone's gonna be working the whack-a-mole for the pod to work right that is mechanically alone i'm like that's fascinating <laughs> like I'm curious like mechanically you're pulling that one off but then just at the level of like the intellectual exercise of thinking about that just to illustrate through this this act of play uh, this act of, of of physical, you know, work, uh, something that is emotional work, something that does have, I mean, there's physical labor, <laughs> trust me, there is physical labor when it comes to like caring for another person. Uh, but the emotional part of it is is even m- more dynamic. And also, do you let people dual wield the whack-a-mole mallets? Because actually, <laughs> that, um, suddenly I want to, I want to smash whack-a-mole in a group setting with two mallets so badly. Um, That's the thing. I mean, first of all, how that works mechanically, I have to give a shout out to the museum because that's that's all them. Um, Shout out to them and the people they've brought on for the project, like Stuart Everett, our programmer, as well as like all of the staff and all of the contractors that they've brought on um, to, I mean, including like, like Hannah, who's sewed every one of those leaves for the things. I mean, there's so many people who's like, I mean, Franco, the project coordinator, who's everybody's like, like, you know, 
blood, sweat, and tears, hopefully not literally, that has gone into the um in into making uh that happen. So first of all, that's that's how that works, is there's like a whole army of people behind that. Um and and like yeah, two years of a development. But um but yes, uh I I do think that um I do believe in the language of games in general. I think that um, I do think that every game has its own language. And I think games in general, the way I always think of them is they are challenges that you willingly take on. Right. And so I think and play in general. Right. There's a there's a freedom that people have when they step up into a playful experience um, that that you that you can use that that I like to use as an artist like it's that's why I like to think of it as I like to think of games and play as my primary medium um also possibly my love language I'm not sure (laughs) um but yeah and um and I think that there's um there's a structure to that I think um and a language and I think it it definitely um there is a cause and effect that you you can show but that is um, that has been a big discussion with that project is how to get, how to get that across, how to get that, um, specifically that causality across with it. And, um, that is, I mean, the people who experience it, uh, they will be the judges of whether or not we were successful. (laughs) I will say, as someone who does like guacamole because of just the thwacky nature of it i think the people who choose that will probably enjoy themselves and whether they'll get the point or not like that's 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 up to like maybe how far they throw themselves into whacking the the walls but um yeah and to answer your question if you want i mean the thing is uh, (laughs) there will be several mallets i believe four available so it all depends, you know, it's how many people come through at the same time as you. Um, also, whether or not you feel like sharing, you know, if you are if you get there first and you want to grab two. I mean, I was actually thinking, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. If, if there's already four people whacking away and somebody wants to come and start like bopping it with their hands, like, I mean, I'm like, nobody's going to stop them. I mean, that's uncomfortable but if they want (laughs) to do it because they want to lend a literal hand like you know more power to them I kind of think like there was a um there's a project I did in 2000 uh I mean I did it first in 2008 and then again in 2013 2014 called the oh no it's called the course of emotions it was a mini golf course um where it playable mini golf course where each hole presented an emotional obstacle to overcome and one of the holes was despair and it was a, a literal par infinity because it was like it was there was a cylinder and the hole that you had to putt to was at the top of this cylinder so like you you can't putt to that because to me that's despair right like yeah, you yeah. just can't get there yeah. but um one of my favorite like emergent behaviors that they came about was um, people would often either borrow a putter or two people would take their putters and like drag the ball up the side and into the hole, which I think just goes to show sometimes you need a little help to get through despair. That just, that made sense to me, that tracked, right? And so, you know, the idea that somebody might 
you might have extra people who just want to help help and lend an extra hand in a game about collective care. They just want to help out and care too, right? Like that to me, I'm like, yeah, get in there, care some more, right? Um, I think something that is um, especially present in that work, but that shows up in in a lot of my work um, and honestly kind of a lot of my life is this, there's this pre-colonial Philippine concept called kapwa and it it um it essentially it's it's about like a shared identity um or like togetherness but at the heart of it is this um sort of moral belief that we we have a duty to care for each other um the way we care for ourselves right mm. and so i you know if if somebody is just feeling that kapwa spirit and just wants to get in there, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm all for it in whatever way, in whatever way they want to do that. <laughs> Turning to a, a different set of emotions uh, and a different, a different game, uh, unresolved rage game, which mm-hmm. is about what it says on the tin. Um, so the version that I got to witness at worlds in play, that was, that was a modified spinoff beta test you were you were trying out uh but i'm hoping you can actually much in, much like you just sort of did for for group hub if, group hug i may or may not edit that uh i'm hoping you can take us through this one from from the start because there's there's a lot of juice in this one yeah sure absolutely um so um uh, as you said this was first developed as part of um well actually i don't know if you said i'm going to say um this was first developed um, as part of uh, Soho Repertory Theater's Writer-Director Lab um, with Rensha. And um, so um, when we did it, um, actually, you know what? Hold on. I, I actually have our manifesto. Um, I, I have our manifesto right here. And if you want, I can, Go for it. I can, just, I can just read it if that's... Um, Rock yeah, and roll. so this was... Um, this is kind of... This was where we started. This is what um, what we wanted. This was our goal for the project, and we actually kept coming back to this. So this is this is where it came from. So this is our manifesto. We are full of rage. We are fed up with being your good girls, your model minorities. We are not your nerdy sidekicks, your hypersexualized geishas, your tiger moms, your wizened mystics. We are far more powerful than we've allowed ourselves to be. We are done with making ourselves small. We refuse to stay silent as you use us to oppress others or keep our heads down as you cast us in the role of your scapegoat. We will no longer make you feel comfortable with your racism or sexism. Fuck your bootstrapping. We commit to being difficult, to being militant, to being messy. We reject the obligation to overachieve and we demand the luxury of mediocrity. We take pride in our complexity, our flaws, our whole humanity. We stake our claim as the main characters of our story. And so basically, um, Unresolved Rage Rage Game um, is, uh, or it was at least, a a sort of immersive theatrical experience um, that, was based on tabletop role-playing game, um, which if for any listeners who um, aren't familiar, the most famous t- TTRPG 
tabletop role-playing game um, is uh, Dungeons and Dragons is, is the most famous one. But um, so we like TTRPGs because of their collective storytelling aspect of it. Um, we do not like uh, Dungeons and Dragons because of the whole, you know, like common trope of you go in and kill everybody and take all their loot. Like that's not really, you know, the whole like a lot of the colonization and imperialism and um, all that stuff is just not really, not really, not, I, not really my thing. Um, so, um, but, but, but the vulnerability and the, and, and what can happen at that, at a table with, with, with your group um, was something that I was really interested in. And, um, and so, um, we wanted to take that experience and and see if we could turn it into a theatrical experience. And so, through Soho Rep, um, we we developed something um, where we wrote a game. Um, like Rand was more on the like uh, world building and scenario sort of stuff. I was more sort of um, in the like um, mechanics sort of um, thing and wrote an actual like. A, a TTRPG, like a role-playing game um, with our own mechanics with um, stats like rage, confidence, acceptance, um, uh, you know, um, and, um, and basically, um, and so what we did at the end, like for our workshop, whereas some other people had like, you know, like a, like a play that 65 people saw on a stage, um, <laughs> instead, we had, uh, uh, our audience was four, four people, uh, four people was the thank goodness Soho Rep let us do this. Um, it was four people on the stage, um, each at their own table. Um, and, um, and they were all Asian femmes and they were the players, like the actually playing this game that we wrote, we had scenarios for it. And then we had actors playing, um, the, the, the people that you encountered along the way, um, the racist and or sexist players, the um, sorry, characters um, who were essentially hitting them with racist and or sexist microaggressions, right? Um, and then each of those players had like a system admin standing next to them who was like um, a white and or mask like person uh, who was acting as a live tutorial. Um, and they had sort of the impossible task of representing this like limiting and oppressive system, but also somehow keeping the players safe within it too. So that was that was a tricky task for them as well. Um, and so uh, we had six cast members, four audience members, um, an amazing lighting designer, amazing uh, stage manager, um, you know, board op, all that. Like, like it was like a theatrical experience for four audience members and. Um, and it was, and I was, I was running, I was running it as the game moderator and, um, and it was an incredibly intimate experience. It was very difficult to figure out how do we, how do we do this in a way where, you know, I mean, because there's literal rage triggers in the game. It's like, we, we, we make people mad, right? And how do we do this in a way where, um, we can help people um, articulate and unpack their rage, but we're not re-traumatizing them, right? Like, so it, we, we definitely wanted to create a tool um, for people to be able to do that um, because 
for us, rage is an emotion that is something um, that is a little bit, you know, sometimes difficult for us to acknowledge and or express. And so, um, you know, which is actually reflected in the mechanics of our game. Each each character um, has has a rage profile, and that is based on whether or not she acknowledges and or expresses um, her rage. And so, um, that's that's the thing. And so, um, that's uh, it was it was tricky to find that line of how to um, how to do that, and and thinking a lot about. Um, how to set up that experience of both. So there was a lot of research in TTRPGs also with LARP about like how to uh, prime people also like the sort of um, thinking about things like de-rolling and aftercare and how to sort of bring people down and debrief them. Um, and just, um, yeah. And sort of thinking about like, what, what does it mean? Right? Like what, do, what would it mean? Uh, like even just like how do we end the experience, right? Like how do you, um, because when making games about like shitty things, shitty things like oppression, right? It's like do you make it about the world as it is, or do you make it about the world as you hope it will be, right? And and I tend to be um, the former. I tend to not. I I don't. I, I personally don't like to act like I've figured, I, I don't, I don't like to act like everything is solved. You know, I like to just sort of present things how, at least how I see them. And, um, so I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to give people the sense of an exhale, um, but not the feeling like, oh, it, it's, we've solved it, you know? Um, like what, what Ren and I talked about was like, yeah, that sense of exhale that yes, like the acknowledgement that our rage is unresolved, but like, like letting the other Asian femmes who are playing, letting them know that like, you're not alone, you know, just the acknowledgement that, 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 that we see you and that you're, you're not alone in this. And that was kind of what we were thinking about with that original version, you know? And so like the end of that script ends with like a sort of, um, it, it was like thinking about like, what is a hap happy ending in that sense? And it's like, it's for all the, like all the, honestly, all the shit that's going down at the end, like all the, um, I mean, I, it, there's like a, it's like a ridiculous scene. Cause that one is like set in like, there's like a cruise ship and it's a wedding. And it's like, I mean, there's all kinds of nonsense that's happening at the end of that one. And it's like, it just fades away. Right. Because it's like that, that to me would be a happy ending is for like all those people to just not fucking matter. Right. And so it's like, they fade away and it ends with like a sort of like breathing exercise and like, um, and then it's like the, the thing that they get to do at the end is they get to, um, because like a lot of them are like playing with sort of toxic, um, 
like there's special features that each character has, but some of the special features are really kind of fucked up. Like like things like cringe coddle, you know, where it's like you you fawn um, at someone's like racist or sexist microaggression, um, you know, but like in order to do that, like you you're not fighting back, you're doing it by like laughing at it, you know, um, and so so we wanted to give people a way to like sort of shed these characters and so um at the end they they get to give a gift to their character um like a new special feature and you know it's an option to it was a way for people to think about like either what they hoped their character could be but for a lot of people is thinking about what they really need right a lot of times people are really just giving gifts to themselves um and then also um, at the end, they get to introduce themselves um, to the group and also say whether or not they're anything like the character they played. So it's a very different tone than the one you saw. Um, but it's it's very much like um, the, the sort of themes of that one are very much like sort of sisterhood and support and um, like sort of community solidarity. And I would Im I imagine that because of the 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 actual structure of the game, because you mentioned cringe coddle, and there were a couple other moves that the that the, the characters had, that was a thing that in, in witnessing the other scenario, which is which was meant to be played by people who are not Asian femmes, mm -hmm. uh, but who were taking on the roles of Asian femmes inside a, a different scenario uh, using the same mechanics. What was fascinating to me was thinking of, you know, navigating an emotional landscape, a social landscape, the same way you would approach a tactical fight in a TTRPG that was born of like wargaming, and that it was move sets and it was about the mechanics the 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 way you structured the mechanics so there were visible ways quite literally visible ways that the the pressures mounted or what was at risk what was at stake and then the moves people had to do and and knowing there was a a trade-off between if you if you made this move you were putting this aspect of your of your character at risk and just in witnessing it it started to create in me this this own sense of like distance, right? Of 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 getting to step back and and thinking about almost like the emotional user interface of reality. Um and you know, the thing I've been wondering since watching that alternate version was had you had you always been thinking in those kind of terms or uh, even before, because I don't, I don't fully know your background playing tabletop role playing games, but like this, this almost from a game design standpoint, it's almost like a, a tactical emotional RPG. And have you, and, and particularly like that, there were emotional reactions, right? Like there, are, there are things in games where it's like if this happens to you, then your character automatically does that, right? And you built that in. But instead of it being like, well, you know, if someone if someone moves on your left side and, you know, then your shield thing activates and you can get two moves to this instead of like, yo, if someone says this crappy thing, 
then in to anyone around you you're going to be triggered and need to take action and then you've got one of two ways of dealing with the action like that's how your mechanics were working and like had you thought about emotional reactions in those terms before messing around with a lot of ttrpgs or like when when did that conceit kind of come to you and become sort of the the, the grounding point for this um well i think i mean um, emotions and gaming gamifying emotions is like i mean that's like my whole that's like everything right like i feel like wh- whether it's in mini golf or whack-a-mole or anything i think putting um emotions within the language of games is is like my is like my favorite it's like everything right um that's that's everything for me um so i think um i think putting it in the terms of ttrpg specifically i mean i think it's kind of just thinking about like um yeah i think it's just for me the language of whatever game is like what I'm trying to search for. So with TTRPGs, the reason why I think it fits so well for this is because, at least for me, I personally find so many TTRPGs limiting and oppressive, just generally, like their rule sets, you know? Um, Like, I mean, I'm a slow reader, so it took me two weeks to get through the player's handbook of 5e. And 5e is supposed to be the lightest version of of D&D, so... so Oh, it takes it. It takes me. I'm a fast reader, and it takes me forever to get through a role playing game book. Particularly, like the older I get, the harder it is. Like they are, as a rule, not written all that well. And once you've once you've read one, you feel like you've read all of them. So you're just like, really, I'm gonna go through this again. Like, like, how are you? Ugh, yeah, I right. I, it's I like it, form, and I can't. I can't read them anymore. Right, and the thing is, and it they seem like. And also the there's a lot of the culture that feels very like gatekeepy and stuff like that. And it seemed honestly perfect. I was like, this vibe is perfect for a limiting and oppressive system and to just like make people feel like they are stuck in a box. I was like, this this thing of 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 um making people feel like they have to be good Asian girls, I was like, this is the perfect game for that right and so and this idea of rage this idea of this very contained thing and like not being able to because it's this idea of like feeling like you can't access this because of all these rules right it's like (laughs) this game is great for that you know this this game format right and so thinking about like how how to gamify that um, TTRPGs in general just seems like the right format. And so then thinking about, okay, like what are, what are the stats for that? I mean, it, since it's about rage, it makes sense to go with emotions, right? And so then it's thinking about what are the stats that affect, what are the things related to rage, right? It's like, I mean, the, the hardest part about it was if rage is something that is hard for like I mean, I can't speak for all Asian femmes. I can like it was random, random me talking through stuff, right? And so for for us, for the two of us, right? It was like um, if that is something that is sometimes hard for us to express or even acknowledge. I mean, it, it was it was rough. I mean, like our Soho 
Soho Rep Writer Writer Director Lab was like a year long. And I was sitting there for a lot of it being like, we have not had enough fucking therapy to be able to write the mechanics for this. Like, I, like I, I don't know. I don't know why I can't access rage. I don't know what I'm scared of. I don't know why. Like, I don't know why I don't speak up. Like, I don't know. There's so many times where I either don't realize I'm angry or realize I'm angry later, or I know I'm so fucking angry, but I don't speak up, even though I technically have nothing to lose in this moment. Why do I not say anything? You know, and it, it's, it takes so much to try and pick that apart. And it, it was like, um, you know, through so many conversations with lots of people really, and, and, and sort of like soul searching to sort of figure out like, what are the mechanics behind that? And so for our game, it's things like confidence, right? And every time you take on rage, your confidence covers your rage. And once your confidence, once your rage exceeds your confidence, um, that's when you, um, explode or implode, um, depending on your rage profile. And the thing is, it's so weird because the more, like, I really do feel like these mechanics are reflected in real life. And I, this has happened. This has like literally happened, um, to me in, in, in real life. Like when, um, when it's like, I I'll be getting dismissed over and over and over by somebody. Right. And it's like, I'll be like rolling my rage die. Right. And it's like, like in our game, it's like when somebody triggers your rage, you first react internally before you can react externally. And the internal reactions, um, were, uh, loosely based on this book, um, the case for rage by Dr. Misha Cherry. And it's like, there's deny, replace, uh, suppress and validate, right? And it's like, if you deny, it's like you can block all of them. But in order to do that, you have to like, you have to, in a really fucked up way, find a way to convince yourself to tell yourself that you brought it on yourself. That is the only way you can block all of the rage, right? If otherwise, if you replace, you can say it's not their fault, but you you can only block one, you have to take on the rest, right? And rage is a D4. Um, and then otherwise you can suppress, which means you're taking on that rage, right? Or you can validate, um, which suppress and validate, you're still taking it on, but the difference is with suppress, it's this is sort of more of a role play choice. It's like with suppress, you're, you have to convince yourself, like you have to say, like you have to say out loud to the to the group and to the GM, like, what do you tell yourself to suck it up? Whereas validate, you get to answer the question, how do you know your rage is valid? Also, validate takes less energy than suppress because it doesn't take very much energy to say, yeah, that's fucked up. My rage is valid because that's fucking racist. You know, like it doesn't take a lot of energy. Um, you know, and it is about resource management because it's like you, the nice thing is that it also helps acknowledge, like, because a lot of these things in real life are happening, but it's happening sort of reflexively, right? And you're not thinking about all of the energy that you're spending on this stuff in every moment, right? Like I will come out of things exhausted and shaking in real life. And I didn't really think about why. And now because of this game, it's like, I now know why. And honestly, I no longer feel crazy because it's like, I, uh, and I don't use that word lightly. Like I'm not using that as hyperbole. Like I, I, there's times where I really, I I doubted myself, which again, that's like my rage covering my confidence um, because 
I, I didn't realize that's what it was. I didn't realize I was carrying rage. And it's been really validating to talk to people who've played this game because they've told me that like they've thought about it every day since because it's helped them unpack moments in the same way, you know? And I think that's something that has been um, really not just validating, but inspiring um, and, and made me feel um, since this, the main goal really was to, to, for this to be a tool to help people um, who like with similar social identities. Um, and so um, the fact that it could do that just was really heartening, you know, and continues to be really heartening. You mentioned that the, the players have found themselves being able to use the way the game articulates this experience to like help them navigate have have you found people who have been in witness roles or in the ancillary roles has it had the same impact or, or has it been reported to you that it's had the same impact for them i think so um i mean i from what i've heard i mean it it, it hasn't been um seen that many times right because like in um at soho rep we didn't we didn't have um an audience um we we actually uh, for the dress rehearsal we let um the soho rep staff um come watch because um just so that they could um just to see what they had supported we got the consent of the players for the dress rehearsal but otherwise um the other four um like performances, playtests, games, or whatever, didn't have an audience. And so um, what we did at Worlds in Play, um, you know, because after that, we started thinking uh, at the dress rehearsal, um, the Soho rep, some of the people who saw it were like, you were like, that was actually really entertaining. And I, I we were surprised because I was like, do you really want to watch like three hours of other people play a game? You know, like I, I didn't, I don't know, but they, they thought it was actually really entertaining and, and funny um, because we do, we do, we try to make it, you know, like we have like cringe coddle, white whisper. And I mean, it, uh, we, I, you know, I mean, as with a lot of my work, I, I try to, um, I think disarmingly playful is what, what is sometimes used in, in like, you know, like press releases and stuff. It, Cause that's, that's the vibe that I try to go for as the, the line I try to walk. And so, um, we did try to infuse it with with a decent amount of, of humor just so that it wasn't so painful for people. And so I, I just didn't know it would be entertaining for anybody outside of the circle. And apparently it was. And so we were thinking about like, okay, um, you know, would it have value to people outside? I mean, the thing is, I think that there are already a lot of tools for white people to be better white people. Like, honestly, um, and that was something I was pretty adamant about. Like when, um, honestly, when like at the height of the pandemic, um, I don't know, there was like, uh, there were a couple of incident incidences. Like there was some woman who like threw a mask at me and said, I'm going to fucking kill you fucking chinks ruining everything for everyone. And there was some other, a uh, white lady who tried to like hit me in the face. And I, I mean, honestly, this stuff really messed me up. And I was, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I was really uh, emotionally really messed up at the time. And I was looking for resources. And this, at the time, there were 
all these, I don't even know if you remember, there were all these like bystander trainings that were like all these, you know, bystander trainings that were, were being offered for people. Um, but then this uh, company that offered that decided to offer one for people who were the targets of that, um, of that violence. And, um, the, um, so I went to it and they just sort of recycled their material. And I found it honestly, just kind of re-traumatizing and not like they, it was clear that it was not really for me. It was clear that it was more just for the bystanders. And I was so upset. It felt like everybody was like, oh, stop AAPI hate. It was like, it felt like of all the times, like people, we were not invisible, but there was still more resources for white people to be better white people than there were for, for people, for like, for actual like Asian, Asian people and Asian Americans. And I was just like, are you, are you kidding me? And so for this, I was for a long time, pretty adamant that I didn't want to make something for non-Asian and or non-femmes, you know, I was pretty anti that, but, um, it was actually through, I actually got into an argument with my partner who is, who is a white man. And I remember getting, um, I got so angry. And at one point I was like, see, I was like, this is what happens. This is what I mean by my rage covers my confidence, you know? And it was like through the language of my game, it was like he immediately understood what I meant. And it actually like made, it made that go so much faster. And like he, and I realized the having, having that having that shared understanding actually took a lot of the emotional labor off of me having him understand the mechanics of that mm. um helped take the emotional labor off of me and and um and so we saw that maybe there was maybe there was actual value to asian femmes if non-asian and or non-femmes had exposure to these mechanics. And so we thought, and also since a four audience uh, thing is unproducible, <laughs> we were like, maybe if we come up with a version that can actually support an audience, um, maybe we can use that to fund a private version for Asian femmes, you know? So, so that's when, um, that's when the non-Asian and or non-femme version, because like we didn't want to to make an audience version where Asian femmes were playing because that it's such a vulnerable experience. We didn't want to make our community feel exploited, but we realized, and also it's like different when you're actually playing, right? And so we were like, well, what if we let non-Asian and or, and or non-femmes play as Asian femmes as characters, right? So they're playing as us. And then the audience represents the dominant group because the dominant group is like one of the stats is acceptance, acceptance in the eyes of the dominant group. So what if the dominant group is represented by the audience and we find a way to make it participatory and try to um, 
you know, try to find a way to make the audience complicit in it too. You know, like that to me, like, I guess sort of ethically made it feel like I could swallow that. Yeah. Um, and then use that to fund the private version. Um, and so that's what we were sort of testing out, dipping our toe in that for Worlds in Play. Well, and some of the mechanics, you know, involved, you mentioned before, you know, you, you, you phrased it as like a, a role-playing choice between suppress or validate the rage. But if, if I remember correctly in the mechanics, uh, and, and you would know if I remember this or not, like the the validating move, though, does put the acceptance trait at risk, right? Like there's, there's mm. a, no, it doesn't. No, it's um, it's what happens after that. There's a so you have your oh. internal reaction, and then after the, that, right, it's the external reaction. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. You know, acceptance. Uh, nobody knows what goes on inside your head, right. but external reactions are based on honestly, they're based on trauma responses. It's a, a um, freeze, flee, fight, or fawn. Um, and so, uh, if you some um depending on your rage profile and, and what has happened, you know, in, in the past, usually, um, at, at this point in the story, only one, uh, character has, uh, access to fight. It's the person who can, um, acknowledge and express her rage. Um, and yes, fighting, um, almost always, uh, costs you acceptance with right. the dominant group. Yeah, I remember. I remember there was some interrelated relationship between the internal and the external, but like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hermetically sealed system. Like everything feeds back in in into it. It's like it gets into there, and then that there's a meter that happens. But but yeah. The thing oh, and and to be clear, fighting in our game is uh, it's asserting yourself, yeah. confronting someone, or standing up for someone else. Yeah. There's something you said at the, at the start of this about games being you know your your creative language and in, in so many ways this game this game has created a language for navigating this and and so it makes it, the the this this emotional reality and so it makes sense that as other people get exposed to the game they start picking up on the language Right, that there's that there's that, and it, it made me think of a of a of a Boal quote because I'm I'm in the middle of reading Theater of the Oppressed, and and this idea of like when you when you start to learn a language, and there's there's all kinds of languages, not just idiomatic ones, like you're starting to kind of get a, a real knowledge of something as opposed to kind of being more at a distance from it. So there's just a lot of there's there's the, this way in which you this approach you have of articulating through mechanics emotions and and seeing how they interrelate like i'm really glad you took us through like that structure because it's it feels like it's a thing that actually happens like there's 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 like a there's there's almost like a like a a, a metaphysical truth to what you've laid down with this thing um yeah, I don't I don't know how to articulate beyond that. Um it's just mm -hmm. just it feels it feels like universally true in in a in a in a fundamental way. Like I know that as just as a witness 
I couldn't help. And I latch onto systems, so you know, I think a lot of you know folks who who have gaming tendencies are like we lat we have systems brain, like we latch onto it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't help but start to filter, like some experiences, even even ones that didn't involve rage. Just the idea of emotional reactions and how was that a you know working through an entire system, like, but not just like for me, but like for other people, like oh, what is going on? Like, it's almost like getting like a little window into someone else's soul. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a perfectly crystal clear. It's not like I can just like hold the mechanics up and like see someone's heart, but like knowing that these kind of dynamics are going on inside folks, right? God, that's really articulate. I don't No, I mean, that's what, that's what, um, that's part of the hope, right? Is that it's like, um, to, to understand things, to, to well first of all to just even understand that like somebody who like for example a character who is a people pleaser like one of our like to understand that a person who is a people pleaser like one of our characters was right to understand how somebody like that can still be grappling with rage right how somebody who is a very sunny personality, um, still can be grappling with a lot of rage. You know, she might not be acknowledging that as rage, but it's something that is something that um, she can be taking on and it can be covering her confidence and she can be very close to exploding and, and, and not, um, and be struggling because of it. Right. And so, um, but all, you might see on the outside is like a really, really tight smile. In fact, the more that she's, um, you know, I think in the version you saw, the special feature she has is called toxic positivity, you know? And so, um, so it's the kind of thing that, um, whether for some people it, it makes them rethink their own, toxic positivity, if that's something they identify with. For some people, it makes them think about people they know like that and, um, you know, might help them empathize, uh, whether that helps them create space for someone like that to be able to open up and acknowledge their rage or whether it helps just them um, give that person a little grace um, if they... uh, notice that it is a little bit toxic and you know uh it just helps them understand it you know whatever the case may be right um but yeah I think I think that is I mean I it is tricky because it's like I you know I think with all TTRPGs uh you know, it's like the idea that like, oh, you play a barbarian, all barbarians are strong, but not smart. You know, it's like, you don't want to reduce human beings. Like, like, especially if you're talking about real things, you don't want to reduce people to, to stereotypes or archetypes or whatever. And so that is a tricky thing. Um, cause there are some, uh, you know, it's like the, the person who is like, like there's like a literal, um, special feature called militant minority, you know, like there's things where we like, uh, we sort of wink at those, you know, those, um, stereotypes. Um, but, um, 
but at the same time, like acknowledge that because those exist, people people see you that way, right? And it affects your acceptance level. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and so I think it's just it's it's a way of like those mechanics do we do hope it helps people see see a little bit into into people like us, into other people, even other people not like us, right? It's just um, thinking about a, a little bit about um, how we all operate, but, um, you know, but also it's, you know, because I think, um, again, I mean, I'm definitely not going to pretend I know what what all Asian femmes experience, but it is pretty remarkable that, like, um, that Ren and I have very, very different backgrounds and very different upbringings. Like Ren grew up in uh, Shanghai, right? And um, is uh, here on an O-1 visa. Like she does not identify as Asian American. Like she is Asian. Like she like she um, does not even identify as an immigrant, right? Um, whereas like I grew up in Kentucky. So I'm not even Asian American. I'm Asian American. You know, it's like, um, and so like, um, yet because because we face a lot of the same stereotypes and a lot of the same oppression, and you know, like I think we. I mean, hello, like the person who threw a mask at me, like called me a racial slur. I mean, I'm not Chinese. I'm I'm Filipinx, right? Like that's like, but I I get called the same racial slur, right? And so it's like because we, because we get called the same racial slur, it's like we, um, we, there are a lot of similar things that we face, even though our cultures and upbringings are so different, right? And so, um, you know, I think it's like even though, uh, we are essentially all we're not a monolith we do face a lot of similar similar things there's that there's that split between the person who you are and who you know yourself to be and and the and the, the, the the personal biography and the cultural history that you have and you know and then there's what people are running around with the model in their head that they're imposing upon mm -hmm. upon you and the 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 one thing about games that when you delve deep enough into them you, you, with the idea of roles with the idea of, of of just the way like there's there's the persona there's the mask there's like the the character class that you are there's the type but then there's like well who are you personally versus the role you're filling in the party even in like a you know the party design when they think about you know, a, a tactical role-playing game where it's like, well, who's the tank and who's the DPS? Like these sorts of things. Like you have this function in a group that's different from who your identity is. And then you start, and that's that's in this like silly fictive thing. And you start to see how that can get reflected back in the thing society is trying to do to you and is being enforced by everybody else and the person you really are and the tension points where those meet. And the language of games gives us for that in, in, in a, in a, in a particularly unique way. And the degree to which the, the grammar you've made, the verbs you've invoked, like this particular dialect of gaming you've made with this piece 
also really illustrates the power of games to go so far beyond what, you know, someone who has a very casual relationship with games might ever imagine. So I, it was, it was, it was a real joy to see at that level, like this thing at work and to start to get a visceral grokkable sense of like how you approach designing and making and making one of these languages. So um, this makes me excited to see, you know, any other work of yours that get to like come across. Uh, and I'm, and I'm truly, truly, I'm just grateful knowing that that group hug show is out there in the world. And, and I feel I've got this feeling that's going to like help a lot of people who are struggling with the same issues or maybe also prep some people to like kind of give them to give, to have a tool, to have a metaphor handed to you before you face the issues of having to like care for someone in your family. Like, I mean, that's what a culture is supposed to do. It's supposed to give us the tools before we face the actual situation. Like, like, and, and you're out there making those tools. So thank you. I hope so. You are. I hope so. I hope so. It's, (laughs) it's open. It'll be open March 1st through July 21st. So hopefully, you know, um, yeah, I, I hope it does. I hope it, I hope it makes it, um, I hope it normalizes that conversation, you know, just makes it something that anybody can talk about at any time. Yeah. Well, Philly gang, go check it out. I know there's a lot and come down from New York, New York squad. So, uh, (laughs) I I think a lot of people, I mean, I wish it's it's like a 90 minute train ride. Oh man. You know, that was so nice out there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Risa, Thank you for for taking time on a Tuesday evening with us. Uh, I know it's like getting late there, so I'll let you rock and roll. But seriously, thanks for this. Thank you for having me. Once again, I want to thank Lisa for being our guest on the show this week. Check out their work via the show notes. If you're in Philadelphia, definitely go check out Group Hug. Whack some whack-a-moles for me. Take care of some people that way. And if you do wield, please let me know. Please DM me about that. Ah, it is going to be a very busy weekend here in the Nelson household. Uh, I don't actually like to call it that. Uh, anyway, in my household, uh, a busy weekend in a couple of different ways. Uh, here in NoPro headquarters. There we go. That's how we like to say it. Yes, very busy weekend in NoPro headquarters. Also some stuff going on on the household side. Uh, and because uh, getting the, the pre-sale up for the Invitational, which I am I'm super stoked about, uh, and... Uh, really really looking forward to telling everyone about all of uh the 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 teams that are going to be playing in this year's invitational why aren't we doing that right away well we're waiting on some marketing material from everybody so that we can get everyone's smiling faces and company logos involved so we want to do it up right but that just gives us the opportunity to let everyone uh who is a backer uh get in on the action before we unleash the floodgates and then people start going like why oh why why didn't i buy a ticket to this um those who have been to the invitational before can attest it is really fun into some of the most fun you can have 
And this year, the tickets uh, are actually less expensive than they were in 2022. Uh, the ticket price has been brought down uh, deliberately just because uh, we want people to have fun uh, and to, like, be there. <laughs> So uh, they were a little pricey in 2022, uh, and this year uh, we're, we're able to make them a little bit less pricey. Uh, and now that everyone knows how much fun it is, we know that it's going to sell right through. So come on down. Uh, and then all the Emmys stuff. Ooh, yeah, a lot of work there. Uh, things are picking up. Uh, things are getting interesting. Uh, we had a really great... Uh, meeting with Catherine and Eric, uh, my co-founders in the Institute, about some of our long-term plans, um, the things that are happening beyond the next stage, uh, which are is also in the planning mode right now. Uh, looking forward to being able to announce uh, dates and venue on that, hopefully pretty soon. Just got to clear one more hurdle uh, with our, our venue, and then we'll be ready to go. And yeah, there's, there's actually, there's, there's all kinds of things cooking right now and conversations we're going to have, uh, and some stuff that's kind of like quiet and cloistered behind the scenes over here and other stuff, which will be big and loud and we're making so much noise about, uh, and all of this really is made possible by all of you and, and standing by us and, you know, uh, my ability to work on this stuff is, is funded through the Patreon, uh, and just super grateful for that. Um, it's, it's a particularly awkward time right now. Awkward, scary time. Um, if you follow independent media or media in general, like, like I do pretty closely, uh, you'll know that, uh, vice.com, which, you know, had a lot of issues over the years in this way and that way, but also was home to a lot of really incredible journalists. It's just going away. It's just completely disappearing. Uh, they're, they're gonna stop doing their website. Uh, and no one knows how long that website's going to stick around. And let me tell you, that is horrifying, uh, in so many ways. Um, not the least of which is just the way we lose these archives possibly forever. I've been doing a lot more research than I usually get to do because of the class I'm teaching up at CalArts. And the thing I keep finding that's really depressing is you'll be digging around and find out about a show or an event, and there just will not be anything around anymore. The The review that was written in, say, The Guardian in the UK, or uh, an article that was in a subsidiary of The Atlantic for something, uh, just isn't accessible anymore. Uh, that archive was never loaded up onto the internet or that website was mothballed by a publication. And we're going to see that happen with Vice. And I, I don't ever want to see that happen to what we've been building for the past 10 years. Uh, we know, if anything, I want to make things more accessible 
Uh, so it's not just, you know, you got to go on Google, which is getting harder to use as well. So part of the idea later in the year of migrating the site from Medium to Ghost will also be to make it more accessible, easier to search, and to just start prepping all of this as if it was a, a real archive and working with folks who are working on real archives of immersive. Um, you know, Laura Hall's got a project uh, that uh, that she's working on right now, and we're going to be helping out as we can. Um, and and I feel comfortable mentioning that here because she's kind of asking around for some more and more publicly on social media for, for the project. And so hopefully, you know, we'll get we'll, we'll, we'll get Laura uh, on the show at some point to talk about it. And also we're going to be figuring out what formal ways we're going to be helping as we can. Um, turns out, uh, man, you got to get lawyers around for all kinds of things. Uh, you just want to do you just want to do good work. You just want to help everybody out. But uh you know, you got to button everything up and cross T's and dot I's and not make the joke about dotting T's and crossing I's because they don't like that. So there you go. Um, all right. That's enough for now. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone in L.A. at uh, at the Invitational in April. So much stuff going on. Uh, I hope uh, a lot of you are going to have fun at the NYC Immersive Weekend. Uh, that was put together by Patchwork. Uh, I think I, they, they were down to like two tickets. I didn't do an ad at the top of uh, the this one because I think they're down to two tickets right now. Uh, so they're pretty much sold out. They might be sold out by, by this point. Uh, I heard a couple of tickets left. Uh, but uh, that's coming up at the top of March. And of course, uh, beginning April uh, without walls, which you're going to hear all about next week. Uh, one, because uh, their preview uh, day is on the 29th. And then on March 1st, the very next day, the podcast is going to drop and we have Amy and Mia from La Jolla Playhouse to talk about WoW. And you're going to get, uh, you're going to get the information. If you like to absorb the, the listings by having people talk them to you, well, guess what? You're going to get that. Uh, and WoW is coming up uh, at the top of April. We're just kicking off. Oh, and um, hey, uh, check this out. And I'll put this one in the show notes as well. Uh, Third Rail Projects is doing something at South by Southwest this year. So if you're at South by Southwest, go check that out. If you can still get a reservation for it, maybe by the time you hear this, they'll be gone. Uh, sometimes that's how that happens, but that's coming up. So just, just a, you know, it's a, it's a good time to be in immersive land. What can I say? Oh, I can say that. And I just did. All right. It's very late. And I think the caffeine is holding on to my heart too strongly. I need to go. I should go get some sleep. Let's do the credits. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella, who we just talked to like two hours ago. The music for No Presenium is a big Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and solo to the podcast. I, I talked to Chris like last month. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro last week. The Nobro podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson. I talk to myself all the time. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.